Chapter Twelve of A Coin of Edward the Seventh. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Coin of Edward the Seventh, Chapter Twelve, Mrs. Perry's Tea. Six months had passed away since the death of Daisy. The grass was now green above her grave where she had fallen there had she been buried beside her father and the villagers often talked of the tragedy and pointed out to strangers the spot where it had taken place but she who had killed the girl they still considered anne guilty had never been brought to justice from the day she had fled on ware's motor-car nothing had been heard of her no one troubled about the dead girl daisy had not been very popular during her life and now that she was gone her name was scarcely mentioned for a time mrs morley had placed flowers on the green mound but after her return from brighton had desisted the grass grew long and the path beside the grave green a tombstone of white marble had been erected by giles and already that was becoming discoloured daisy and her resting-place were forgotten the poor child might have been dead a hundred years instead of six months only the tale of her death remained as a fireside legend to be amplified and improved upon as the years went by after that one sensation life went on in rickwell very much as it had always done morley and his wife returned to the elms and instead of having a new governess the triplets went to school mrs morley never spoke of anne or daisy and seemed to grow no more cheerful than before even in the perfect summer weather she still looked pale and subdued and her eyes still had in their watery depths an anxious expression every one said that she was regretting the death of daisy and the wickedness of anne but others remarked that she had looked just as haggard and worn before as after the tragedy mrs perry gave it as her opinion that the poor lady had a secret sorrow and tried by skilful questioning to learn what it was but either mrs perry was not clever enough or mrs morley had no secret to reveal for the scandal-monger learned nothing the only thing that mrs morley said was that she missed her girls whereupon mrs perry told her that she ought to be ashamed of herself seeing that the three were getting a good education however this did not seem to console mrs morley much for she wept copiously in her usual fashion the good old lady returned to her cottage very much disgusted it was rather a dull time for her as she had heard no news for a long time every one was so well behaved that there was no scandal going and mrs perry began to think that she ought to pay a visit to town her cousin mrs McHale, had already gone back to new zealand with a fearful opinion of english society for mrs perry had blackened the country just as though she had been a probore then one day her little maid who was called jane and had the sharpest ears of any one in the village brought in breakfast with the remark that mr ware had returned mrs perry sat up in bed where she always partook of the first meal of the day and looked excited when did he arrive jane how does he look what does he say jane being experienced answered these questions categorically he came last night mum with trim and looks a shadder of hisself but said as he was glad to be home again and what was the news oh said mrs perry rubbing her nose with a teaspoon wants to hear the news does he i'll ask him to tea to-morrow no to-day you can take a note up to his place jane 
yes mum replied jane who was friendly with giles housekeeper and don't let me hear that you've been gossiping with the servants jane snapped mrs perry who was unusually cross in the morning and looked an ogress without her wig i hate gossip you have two ears and one mouth jane that means you should listen twice as much as you speak yes mum replied jane who had long since taken the measure of her mistress's foot then she went to the door and was recalled to be told that the cook was to make a cake she was going again and had to return for instructions about some particular tea then there was the silver to be especially polished and various other matters to be gone into until jane's head was whirling and her feet ached she went down to the kitchen and told the cook that the old vinegar bottle was more fractious than usual if only mrs perry had heard her but she thought jane was afraid of her whereas jane was meek to her face and saucy behind her back the old lady heard all the gossip in the neighbourhood but she never knew the remarks that were made in her own kitchen however it thus came about that giles received a civil note from mrs perry asking him to come to afternoon tea his first thought was to refuse but he then reflected that if he wanted to learn all that had taken place during his absence mrs perry was the very person who could tell him he knew she was an old cat and had a dangerous tongue still she was much better than a newspaper being as her enemies said more spicy he therefore accepted the invitation and appeared in the little parlour about five he had been for a ride and having put his horse up at the inn asked the old lady to excuse his dress mrs perry did so with pleasure giles was a splendid figure of a man and looked a picture in his trim riding-dress the old dame had an eye for a fine man and cast an approving glance at his shapely legs and slim figure but she frowned when her eyes rose to his face it was thinner than she liked to see there was not the old brave light in his eyes and his fair moustache had lost the jaunty curl which to her romantic mind had made him such a gallant lover giles was one of the few persons mrs perry did not abuse for his good looks and many courtesies had long since won her foolish old heart although she would never confess to it but then mrs perry was softer than she looked who had been taking the heart out of you ware she asked in her gentlemanly way which giles knew and had often laughed at no one he answered gloomily unless you call fate someone i call anne denham someone she replied coolly so you haven't found her yet poor soul no i have looked everywhere she has vanished like a bubble it is just as well you couldn't possibly marry her and bring her back to rickwell as your wife why not she is innocent you said yourself that she was and i believe it i have stood up for her all through all the same ware there would be a scandal if she came back as mrs ware i don't care two straws for that said giles flinging back his head no she replied dryly i know that you're an obstinate man as any one can see with half an eye well i'm glad to see you again sit down in the armchair yonder and tell me what you have been doing all these months no good if your face is the index of your mind ware laughed and sitting down managed to stow his long legs out of the way no easy matter in the little room 
then he accepted a cup of excellent tea from mrs perry and some of her celebrated cake he did not reply immediately as he did not want to tell her the truth she had too long a tongue to be told anything which it was necessary to keep secret he put her off as best he could with a general answer i have just been going to and fro like satan sniffed mrs perry he's your model is he so you have been searching for anne where in paris and in london but i can't find her she doesn't want you to find her replied the old lady if she did you would stand face to face with her soon enough that goes without speaking retorted ware however my adventures would not amuse you mrs perry suppose you tell me what has been going on in these parts as if i knew anything of what was going on said mrs perry giles laughed it was a fiction with mrs perry that she never interfered with other people's business whereas there was not a pie within miles into which she had not thrust her finger but he knew how to start her tongue the morleys what about them no change ware the tricolor has gone to school i mean the three children although i can't get out of the habit of calling them by that ridiculous name mrs morley is as dismal as ever and seems to miss anne very much as well she might anne was a good friend to her and morley he has found a new friend said mrs perry triumphantly a man called franklin george franklin cried ware startled for he had heard all about the fortune from steele he is the man who inherited the five thousand a year that powell left to daisy steele the detective told me and now i think of it morley told me himself when i was ill it's the same man ware he has been here two months and has taken the priory that's a cheerful place said giles why it has been standing empty for three years i know the last tenants left because they said it was haunted rubbish and by what by a white lady she wanders up and down the park wringing her hands but this franklin evidently does not believe in ghosts for he has been there these two months and never a word from him what kind of a man is he a tall man with very black eyes and a black beard no added mrs perry correcting herself i am wrong he had a beard when he first came and now has shaved it off have you seen much of him hardly anything morley is the only person with whom he is intimate in any degree he hardly ever comes out and when people call he is not at home why the man should have five thousand a year i can't make out he does no good with it any family a wife there is a daughter i understand but she is an invalid and keeps to her room or to the grounds weak in the head i should say seeing how secluded her father keeps her have you seen her yes i came on her unexpectedly one day or rather one evening a short girl with red hair and a freckled face she looks a fool and was dressed in all the colours of the rainbow i don't wonder he i mean franklin keeps her out of sight humph said ware rather astonished by the extent of mrs perry's information did the servants tell you all this there are no servants retorted mrs perry with scorn 
the man is a mean creature you may not believe me ware but he has only three people to do the work of that huge house then there are three servants some people might call them so retorted mrs perry determined not to give up her point but they are a queer lot not at all like the domestic i have been used to an old man who acts as a kind of butler a woman his wife who is the cook and a brat of fifteen the daughter i expect who does the general work oh it's quite a family affair a queer household does this man intend to stop long he has taken the priory on a seven years lease and morley visits him yes and he visits morley they are as thick as thieves perhaps they may be thieves for all i know does this man franklin go about much not a great deal but he occasionally takes a walk into the village sometimes he comes to church and i believe the rector has called i wish any one but him had taken the priory we want company in this dull place will you call and see him i ought to replied ware slowly seeing that i was engaged to daisy who should have had the money but from what you say i should not think franklin would care to see me and certainly he does not seem to be a desirable neighbour he's quite a mistake snorted mrs perry i tried to be friendly but he gave me to understand that he preferred his books to my company he's a great reader i understand evidently the good lady was somewhat sore on the subject for she shortly changed it for another first she began to talk of daisy secondly wonder who had killed her and why and thirdly she made mention of the grave there's something queer about that she remarked rubbing her nose a sure sign of perplexity how do you mean queer well mrs perry looked thoughtfully at her guest then before replying she gave him permission to smoke i like the scent of a cigar about the place she said it reminds me of the colonel he was an awful man to smoke the one habit i could not break him of giles lighted a cigarette willingly enough and repeated his question this time he got an answer that surprised him it's this way said the old lady taking up her knitting for some time the grave was quite neglected no i gave orders that it should be looked after i told drake and my gardener he's a friend of the sexton's and i thought there would be no trouble there has been then said mrs parry triumphantly the sexton and your gardener quarrelled and have not been on speaking terms for months thomas the sexton won't let williams do anything to the grave and out of spite won't touch it himself so it went to rack and ruin the grass is long or rather was long and the flowers all gone to seed a sore wreck where i am most annoyed i'll see about it to-morrow there is no need the grave is now as neat as a new pin the grass is clipped and fresh flowers were planted a month ago i never saw a grave better kept quite a labour of love and who has done this mrs morley pish said the old dame pettishly as though that woman had the gumption to do anything humph 
no one knows who has done it what do you mean ware looked puzzled what i say i usually do the grave has been put to rights at first few people noticed it because few go into that corner but one day some imp of a choir-boy saw the improvement and told old thomas he came and looked at it and others came no one knew who had put it to rights then continued mrs parry impressively it was discovered that it was done at night at night yes but no one seems to know by whom or at what time every morning some fresh improvement was noted some people watched but saw no one coming yet when the watching was dropped there was something fresh done it may be a brownie added mrs parry with a sniff but it's a mystery even i can't find out the truth it's very strange said ware thoughtfully it's worse it's improper cried mrs parry in her sternest voice i see no reason why such a thing should be done in the darkness of night though to be sure she continued rubbing her nose we have had moonlight lately i must see into this said ware rising you'll find nothing every one has watched but to no purpose my friend now the idiots talk of ghosts and what not what do you think yourself asked giles why that some one who loved daisy better than you did has taken pity on her neglected grave and-don't he cried wincing i did my best to make her happy the engagement was unfortunate the marriage would have been still more so it is just as well the poor girl died no no i don't blame you but anne don't say a word against anne he interrupted quickly then before his hostess could reply he took his leave i must be going now mrs parry was not at all pleased but knowing how far she could go decided that she had reached the limit of his forbearance with feminine craft she smothered her resentment and parted from him in the most cordial manner all the same she still held to her opinion that anne was not the wife for her favourite giles went at once to the churchyard to view daisy's grave he found everything in good order the grass was shorn the flowers were blooming and the white marble of the stone had been cleansed carefully wondering who had performed this labour of love he returned to get his horse at the gate of the churchyard a tall man passed him with bent head as he brushed past the young squire he raised it suddenly giles saw a clean-shaven face large black eyes and a sallow complexion he stood aside to let him pass rather a nice day said ware pleasantly very responded the man and continued his walk giles knew very well that he was the new tenant of the priory it was in his mind to speak to him but on second thoughts he decided to do so on a more propitious occasion standing at the gate he looked thoughtfully after the retiring figure there was something familiar about it and about the face of the man his eyes especially aroused a vague recollection in his mind but he could not as the saying goes put a name to it but while walking to the inn it suddenly flashed into his brain that this was the man whom he had seen in church on that fatal new year's eve it's the clerk he said breathlessly he has shaved his beard 
he is wilson the man who fled with anne who murdered poor daisy end of chapter twelve read by celine majeure